Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. August 28th, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right. Excited tonight um, for our show. In addition to the topics we'll be discussing, uh, in about 20 minutes, we're going to have our guest on who is the Democratic nominee for Georgia's 14th district to face off against Marjorie Taylor Greene, Marcus Flowers. Um, Marcus, uh, I guess, follows in a tradition that we started back in 2008 with Bud Gammon. And if I'm not mistaken, since then we've had every Democratic nominee for this you know, particular area, since Tim and I both reside here, um, on the show. And so we'll have uh, – Marcus Flowers on, ask him about his background, the campaign, you know, issues, just how everything's going. Uh, but until then, uh, let's start discussing um, some going-ons. And yesterday in Columbus was the uh, Democratic Party of Georgia convention, state convention. I actually have not been to one in a few cycles um, since I stepped away from party duties, but those things may be changing uh, maybe more on that later, but um, I uh, attended yesterday, so got to see um, the convention in person. I'll give some thoughts, and then, of course, y'all, Tim and Catherine, y'all may have read about it, heard from other folks about it, but very well-attended event, um, had a really big, um, I guess the North Hall was where the convention was held, and it was filled up except for maybe a few seats in the back overflow, um, filled all the way through. I want to say since I attended probably close to 10 years ago at one of these things like this, it was a much younger crowd than in the past. Um, The morning session was uh, focused on federal candidates. Raphael Warnock spoke. Um, Actually, I think uh, Andre Dickens spoke about the Democratic Convention possibly coming to Atlanta. And then they had all of or virtually all of the congressional candidates either by video message, which um, Lucy McBath and David Scott sent video messages, and then they had others in person. So got to hear from some candidates you usually wouldn't hear from unless you just traveled all across the state. And then they had, of course, lunch and some other things. Then they had the afternoon session with the statewide candidates, and they let all of them speak through. And then Stacey Abrams gave just a really amazing speech, and when she structured it around a story, of when she was on the debate team and her parents gave her a $20 bill and how they, you know, she wasn't just supposed to spend it any old way, but it was really for her to um, enjoy herself to a point that was an investment in her. And so it was kind of like, you know, sometimes we just want to save taxes just to save taxes, but sometimes we invest in things and the $20 will come back to us. That was an incredible illustration around the rest of her points. Um, I know I've laid out a lot there. Um, Catherine, 
have you either read or heard from others about the convention and just some of the thoughts you picked up? Yeah, I was getting a play-by-play from a friend who was there um, just via text. And um, she said that she thought that it was, you know, that they the candidates talked about important issues, um, hit on issues that they don't normally talk about, like abortion and LGBTQ plus rights and um, justice. She was Im- impressed by that. She also noted that the crowd was younger than she remembers in the past and um, that Stacy gave a great speech. And so did she thought that Charlie Bailey gave a really good speech too. I don't, she didn't say why, but she thought he was pretty, uh, pretty good. So, um, and I guess she also said that Marcus Flowers really revved up the crowd. So that's all good news. And what you've reported is also good. I mean, I think it's great that there was good attendance. It's great that um, the crowd is younger. That's always encouraging in these times of, you know, fall off on the younger voters. So hopefully they're planning to vote and also bring all their young friends with them to vote. So all that I think is all good news. Yeah, and I'll tell you why Charlie Bailey's speech, I think, was so good. I actually somebody that I've heard him multiple times said the best speech ever gave. He was a tough speech. He really went after Burt Jones, and he talked about how he's prosecuted felons and then Burt Jones has committed felonies. And he really boiled down to that issue where Burt Jones was one of Donald Trump's fake and illegal electors. Um, where you know they, they signed up the slate of 16 people that said they would vote for Donald Trump if they threw out um, the 16 electors that were fairly and accurately elected. And so he talked about that, and he said, look, if you're not going to follow the law on this, how can we trust you on anything else? And, and it was a tough, clear speech on that, um, so it really was good. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you a, another one before I throw it to Tim that I thought was so interesting. That wasn't a – uh, pep rally motivates you kind of speech. It was more of a TED talk, but I was like, I wanted to get a slide deck and tell me more. And that was PSC candidate Patty Durand. Um, and this race now is, looks like it's going to be held separately from everything else at another time. And so maybe people can ha- hear more. But she really explained, you know, what's going on with, you know, the way they regulate rates, the, where they're falling down. You know, smart rates apparently actually cost you money. That was where I was like, yeah, show me the slide. I don't think I'm on smart rate, but I want to know more. Maybe you're going to save me some money on my power bill here at this political convention. Wasn't expecting that. Um, but it was she was really, really well-informed, as informed as any candidate run for any office that I heard from. Uh, Tim, I know they have multiple articles in the news sources around the state. Uh, what are your, what's your take? Yeah, they they did, and there was a lot of uh, stuff, I was going to say, a lot of pictures and stuff out on social media. I'm sure uh, Catherine saw a lot of that, too. And uh, one thing I did notice, man, that was a really, really a good crowd. It looked, like you said, like that place was almost full, and it looked like a really big room, too. So uh, what I didn't notice, but what you said that uh, is very heartening is uh, the youth of the crowd. Um, Must have been a lot of new folks there, uh, a lot of folks that have come into the process in the last couple of cycles. Uh, 
a lot lot of these people probably got active when they saw, you know, that Donald Trump was president. And it's and it's good to have this new generation of folks in in the cycle. And I'm I'm glad to hear that it went so well. And I'm glad to hear that the candidates gave uh, excellent speeches. It, it was really heartening to hear about uh, Charlie Bailey giving a stem winder. Um, uh, you know, he he has a local connection here. Uh, you know, working for. Uh, uh, Bobby Lee's uh, law firm, and uh, he has a lot of support up here in this area. But I'm I'm glad that the convention uh, went so well. Hopefully, it'll uh, get people excited and propel us right through November. Yeah, and two more congressional candidates because I did not know as much about a lot of the ones outside my area and the non-incumbents. Uh, but in the sixth district, and that is a open seat because Lucy McBath is in another seat now. Bob Christian, his was more of a uh, one of those facts and detail kind of speeches, more so than a pep rise speech, but a very good speech. I think he did well for himself. And then Darius Butler, also a minister like Raphael Warnock, so he does this for a living, and you could tell. Um, his uh, He actually mentioned kind of that connection, but he did a really good job, too. He's running for um, Congress in the Macon area against or I guess part of it against Austin Scott. Um Sanford Bishop now has more of Macon than I think he's had in the past in his district. So um that was uh, two more folks. And I'm gonna be honest here and I'm gonna do it in a way where it doesn't incriminate anybody. But I would give a piece of advice to any candidate. If you are running for we're just using railroad commissioner since we don't have that in Georgia. If you're running for railroad commissioner and they give you ten minutes to talk don't talk for 45 seconds about railroad um, tracks and railroad cars and everything else your job's supposed to do, and then spend the other nine minutes and 15 seconds on everything else under the sun that really doesn't have anything to do with your office. Um, I didn't think uh, there was one or two speeches like that, and I was like, they really missed an opportunity to really get down to about to what they are going to be in charge of if they were to be elected. Um, so, you know, that, that's just a little piece of advice for what it's worth. Um, but good event. And by the way, Savannah, I mean, if you, if somebody has a, a convention in, um, Columbus, that convention hall, it's an old iron ore, um, iron ore plant factory. I mean, probably almost a hundred years old, if I guess. And it sits right on the Chattahoochee river, beautiful location, beautiful building, that they've renovated. You can see the history, but it looks, you know, shiny and clean and modern, even with the historic feel. So, good event. And now, obviously, it's time to um, move on to, um, you know, you go after other voters, not 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 the base. I mean, if you don't have the base at this point, you're in trouble. One more thing, I did I did mention to some folks, and they did laugh, and we'll see if y'all laugh too. Um, I think they missed an opportunity. How would y'all feel if they'd have just given ten minutes of open mic time to Herschel Walker? What have been the odds <laughs> no. that they could cut like ten advertisements out of what he said, Catherine? <laughs> no. <laughs> don't give him any. Don't give him any think, extra. You don't think he would have made gaff after gaff? Yeah, I do think he would have made gaff yeah. after gaff, but you know, it was a. Yeah. It was a convention of Democrats, and let's uh, 
you know, keep our eyes on the, <laughs> on the, you know, our, uh, keep our, stay in our lane, I guess is the right. Yeah, yeah. David, I, David, I don't David, David, you do, or at least the handlers wouldn't have let Yeah, him. David. Yeah, but 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 David, you do realize that means that you and everyone else there would have had to sit there and listen to him for ten minutes, right? Are you up to I, it? <laughs> I've graded papers. I've graded. I've graded writing samples. I'm up for anything. Um, <laughs> anyway, it just. Um, Oh yeah, son. But it just, it just. I mean, there's things he said since we probably last talked about it. But we're not even going to go get into that. Let's talk about some more of these elections that are happening in, in, in states, and we'll start off this past Tuesday. We had more, and it feels like we're always missing some because some of these elections are coming so fast. And, and one that's probably wasn't even held on Tuesday, but it just keeps coming, just getting everybody's attention, is Alaska. Um, they have this uh, – they have the um, instant runoff where you um, eliminate candidates – and I think the rules are a little different where it doesn't have an instant runoff, where it doesn't get necessarily down to two. I don't understand all the rules, and but it's very close. And surprisingly, I think for a lot of folks, the Democratic candidate is in the lead because more Republicans ran, and one of those is highly controversial. Um, but, Tim, I'm sure you've been following the numbers closely. Uh, give us your take. Well, yeah, in, in Alaska uh, – you, you've got a couple of well-known names there, and, and, and along with being in that runoff that, that you're talking about, the Democratic candidate did finish first because basically about all the other candidates were uh, Republican. It's a ranked choice uh, format uh, in, in their election there. And so the top three made the cut. Then the third the third place finishers votes uh, will be looked at to see who was chosen second. That's what ranked choice is all about. You choose who you want to win, and then you choose a person you would vote for if your candidate was not in it. And those votes will then go to one of the other two candidates, uh, Sarah Palin. Uh, made that runoff uh, for Congressman Young's spot, along with uh, um, Mark Begich. Uh, uh, that, that's another well-known uh, name in Alaska politics. Over in the U.S. Senate race, uh, Lisa Murkowski finished first there. And I believe in her particular race, four candidates move on uh, to November for the uh, ranked choice portion of the thing. And so that that's the way it adds up in Alaska. We could, now in in the congressional thing, there is a there's a vote to fill out Young's term which means that they'll be counting votes pretty quick, and within a week or so, we should probably know who wins there. And then there, of course, is the election again in November. We could be looking, guys, at Sarah Palin in Congress 
in a couple of weeks. Do, doesn't that sound just yummy? But, but Mary Pelota, the Democrat, is actually, didn't she have the most vote? Um, she did, but on, see, in the, rank, in the rank choice thing now, whoever finishes third, whoever finishes third, then uh, their votes will go to someone else in the rank choice procedure. You pick your winner. You vote for your person, then you pick your second favorite candidate. If your candidate does not, you know, finish in the top two, then they will go to your second place vote and send them to whoever. And being that there's two Republicans and one Democrat in the race, you've got to think, right, that a Republican is going to prevail. It's just yeah. as possible that baggage baggage could prevail too. That there, you know, but it, it's most likely to be a Republican, and, and most likely to be Sarah Palin. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. And I'll say this: if Sarah Palin were to, uh, you know, be the Congresswoman, I think that actually throws a, a kink into the people that seem to be her. Um, followers and past and you know years later so we'll kind of see that well i want to go ahead and switch gears now before we pick up any of these other races and welcome on to the kudzu vine mr marcus flowers welcome mr flowers hey how you doing yes sir glad to have you on the kudzu vine let's start right off um just so our listeners they know you're running for georgia's 14th congressional district but tell our listeners you know some about your background well, let's see, a little bit about me. I was uh, I was born in Troy, Alabama. That's where I'm originally from, which is also the birthplace of my idol, John Lewis. Um, you know, at 18 years old, <clears throat> I joined the Army, and that's when I swore for the first time the oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last almost three decades. <clears throat> Sorry as a soldier, a defense contractor, and a former government official with the uh, Department of Defense. Uh, and during that, you know, almost three decades, I spent a, a decade of that in combat zones in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, you know, my background is in logistics and compliance, so my job is to support our warfighters and support our country. And, you know, that's what I was doing up until – Shortly after January 6th, where, you know, I saw what happened there at our Capitol, you know, an attack on our democracy, uh, you know, an attempted coup at the, the heart of our democracy that, you know, I lost friends and colleagues for overseas. So that's what really drew me into this race. So my decision to run was absolutely born on January 6th. Because I'd seen people like Marjorie Taylor Greene pushing the big lie and pushing people to extremism uh, that caused them to attack our capital. Uh, Yes, well, you kind of got in a little bit of the next question, so I'll kind of backtrack a bit um, and just talk about, you know, Georgia. Now, what brings you to Georgia, um, considering, you know, you were stationed all over the world, including the Middle East? Well, Georgia is where my 
family pretty much lived. My dad taught at Cedartown High School for 31 years, so I was always back and forth between Alabama and Georgia growing up. Uh, and most of my family, uh, to include my mother, sisters, and brother, all live here in Georgia. So when I came back from overseas after you know, spending about two decades off the continent, uh, I came back home where everyone was. So that's what brought me back here when I came back from serving my country overseas. Excellent. And and uh, I actually was an administrator for a little while at Cedartown High. If you don't mind me asking, uh, your father, in case I worked with him. Yeah, his name was George Wheeler. You probably did work with him. I, I taught him, Mr. <laughs> Wheeler. Excellent sh- uh, shop teacher, if I'm not mistaken. That was him. The industrial. That was him. Yeah. He was an industrial oh, yes, artist, well, that's good uh, guy. Yeah, carpenter. You know, to put it simply, that's that's what he was. Uh, And and then uh, when he retired, opened a barbecue restaurant down there in Cedartown. I heard was quite good. Yeah, he did a little bit of that. He did some, you know, teaching other people how to do carpentry, and you know, he had a little little business where he, you know, did renovations. So that was uh, that's what he did up until the day he died. Yeah, well, excellent to know that connection. Um, thought a lot of Mr. Wheeler working with him, so I did not know that. Maybe no one else besides me, and you will find that as interesting, but I certainly do. Um, and so you talked about January 6th. Anything else that maybe compelled you to run for Congress, uh, you know, this year? Well, what compelled me to run? Again, my decision to run was born of January 6th. Now, I gave you a little flavor of my background service to this country stated simply, but as a logistics guy and a compliance guy, you know, I'm able to work with all branches of the military. And for the most part, I spent a significant portion of my career working with and serving our soldiers in intelligence and electronics warfare. Now, being in that field, you get to see, you know, extremism and radicalization up close and personal coming from someone like me who's been to places like Camp Buka, which is the birthplace of ISIS. You know, I've sat down on behalf of the United States and negotiated with, you know, Afghan and Iraqi warlords. So I've seen what extremism looks like up close and personal. I've seen what our enemies look like, and I don't see that being our neighbors our colleagues here in Georgia, uh, but all too often in our politics, we see, you know, politicians trying to pit us against each other, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who pushed the big lie, saying that the election was somehow stolen, and a, a whole host of other things that you know, tend to divide us and serves to only separate us from our neighbors, and our families, even in, in some instances. Uh, so. Uh, I'd seen a lot of that coming, and I, I knew, you know, over the course of several years watching what was going on in our body politic and in the media, I saw us heading to a dark place. Um, now, being a government official, I was always bound by the Hatch Act, so I was never able to be outwardly political, uh, never really wanted to. I always considered myself apolitical, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, my job is to complete the mission, and that's what was important to me, serving our country. Um, 
but around the summer of 2020, uh, after the killing of George Floyd, um, you know, I, I started to see what happened on that after that summer as a misinformation and disinformation campaign grew louder and louder. And I saw, you know, riots in our country, and, and, and I knew that's not who we were. So for the first time, I started reaching out to people and, you know, just trying to gauge where people were, where what they were thinking. And then, of course, COVID, and everyone was locked down. And, you know, I noticed that sense of anxiety uh, that was building up in our country, a collective sense of anxiety. And I watched continuously as, again, that misinformation and disinformation campaign grew louder and louder. And I started seeing people taking more extreme positions. And, you know, I started to become a little bit alarmed. That's when Marjorie Taylor Greene first came on my radar. And I started hearing some of the things that she was saying and uh, some of those radical ideas that she was, you know, putting out there that, you know, her political opponents, you know, should be, you know, killed, saying that 9-11 was a hoax, that Parkland was a hoax, you know, all of these QAnon conspiracy theories that she was espousing, uh, and, you know, as I said, that's, that's dangerous, you know, because someone like me, coming from the background that I come from, I look at things in a, in a very clear way. You know, think about what it takes for someone to put on a suicide vest and walk into a, a room with Americans to blow them up. You know, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It takes a lot to get a person to that point, to where they're willing to kill themselves in order to kill someone that they perceive as their enemy. Uh, so I saw the dangerous rhetoric and how it, you know, it radicalizes people and, and sends, you know, these dangerous conspiracy theories that she and others were putting out into the world. And then, of course, you know, January 6th happened, and my fears were realized that we had a not insignificant portion of our population that's been radicalized by things like the big lie. So that's what drew me in, and her pushing that hate and division out. Uh, you know, that's not who we are here in Georgia. That's not what I see in, in, in my neighbors here. So I decided to stand up and do something about it. But what it's, what's really important since I've been running this race uh, is what I go out and I talk to our friends and neighbors about are the things that matter here to us, like our schools and our kids' education, preserving our democracy for our future generations, you know, health care, our seniors and veterans issues, you know, homelessness and mental health are huge issues in our district. And, you know, I get out and I talk to our elected officials throughout the district, and almost to a person, these are the issues that we're talking about where we need help in our district, and we're getting none of that. The job of a congresswoman or a congressperson or what our congresswoman should be doing is steering funds to our district to help us address the issues that we have. And she's done none of that. And, of course, she doesn't sit on any committees, so she can't. Um, but, you know, this is what the people of Georgia deserve, someone who's going to work with our local elected officials and our business leaders and, and get things done. That's what the job is all about, not making yourself famous and pushing wild conspiracy theories. Yes. Well, Sorry, I mean, she, I go she doesn't have the roots. <laughs> Yeah, she she just doesn't have the roots in a place like Cedartown, like yourself does. Um, she she just a transplant completely from a whole other part of the state, and um, not showing any commitment to the actual 
you know, local counties. Uh, well, I'm going to pass it over to uh, Catherine. He'll pass it to Tim to ask more questions. Catherine? Hey, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I know the campaign trail is very busy, and Sunday nights are usually for families, so we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. I wanted to ask you about... No worries. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, in the last week or so, um, your opponent made this statement about not wanting to court independent voters, that she only wants votes from Republicans. And I'm sure that you've looked at the numbers, and I'm sure that you recognize that you're going to need votes from everywhere. And so what's your strategy for getting those independent voters and maybe hopefully some Republican voters? You know, that's that's one of the things that I, I, I talk about. Now, this specific issue that I just heard that statement today that she made, you know, and that, that she's she's pushed back and, and, and tried to separate so many different types of people or groups of people against each other, whether it's, you know, black and white people, whether it's our LGBTQ plus community, whether it's Democrats, independents and Republicans. I mean, her antics are, are well documented at this point. Uh, and one of the things that I do is, is I go out and I meet people where they are. You know, I just told you that I go out and I talk to our elected officials all over uh, the district. But, I, you know, this campaign's not over 50,000 doors, uh, my campaign staff and I. And I get out and I talk to people every day. And I don't always know if I'm talking to Democrats, independents, or Republicans. But I have the same conversation with them. I ask them what they want to see out of a representative. And we talk about the needs of what's going on here in our district and, you know, and, and let them know that what representation really should look like. It should look like someone who's working to make your lives better, someone who's working to bring jobs into our community, someone who's working to make sure that our kids are prepared for the jobs of the 21st century. Uh, you know, there's so many issues that we have, you know, her antics and for just the wild things that she's saying, it's getting nothing done for us at the end of the day. She hasn't brought a single dollar into our district to help with and anything, and there's so many important issues that we need to be working on. So we have those conversations with everyone. I mean, and and is are, that resonating? Do you feel like that's resonating with people? Are they, oh, yeah. are they aware of um, their current congressperson is not really, you know, doing the job of a of a of a congressperson are are they aware of that or are they uh you know somewhat I'll, I'll tell I mean you I'm how sure the, that it varies it varies I'll tell I'll tell you how generally how the conversations go you know most people are you know just embarrassed by the things that she's saying uh, the things that she's doing that they don't agree with and you know a lot, a lot of people miss the fact that really she's not doing the job of a congressperson Yes, those things are meant to distract you. They're meant to <clears throat> the things that she says are, are are meant to, you know, make it an us versus them type of thing. Right. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's me. It's about us. We are a community. We are neighbors. We're family even here in this district. So we have to work on our issues together. There's only one way 
to solve these problems that we're facing uh, and the needs of our, our kids and our seniors and our veterans and those who are struggling to, to pay the rent or, or pay for their mortgage. We have these issues collectively. And, you know, instead of our taxpayer dollars, which we all pay taxes here, you know, we're going to we need a representative who's trying to get some of those dollars back into our community to serve our needs. Uh, so I, I always bring the conversation back to that, and you know, uh, and I get why people are so upset with you know the way she's acting. And then you, you have a few who say, "Oh, well, she's fighting for us," and you know, and I have that conversation as well. And you know, I I, I let them know and know on certain terms that. Yes, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she is a fighter. She picks fights. You know, yeah. any, <laughs> any, anyone, anyone can go into a bar and hit some over, someone over the head with a, a, a bottle. And, you know, that's fighting. But what good is that doing when the result is you get thrown through a plate glass window? Whereas, you know, you have someone who's fighting for something. A prize fighter goes into the ring with purpose. They're fighting for something. The prize is, in this case, uh, as this example goes, is we're fighting for our kids. We're fighting for our seniors. We're fighting for our veterans. We're fighting for those who are struggling to pay mortgages or even find housing. You know, we're fighting for jobs. That's what we need to be fighting for, not just picking fights with our colleagues in Congress on, on both sides of the aisle. That's what she does. She makes a lot of noise, and it's all meant to distract, but it's not getting anything done. Let me ask you another question. Um, obviously, in uh, Congress, there's a lot of competing uh, needs. So the needs of, um, you know, Congresswoman uh, Nakima Williams' district are going to be different than the 14th district, which are different from, you know, southern or uh, western Georgia district. So how, are, how do you feel about that whole sort of uh, to – use a term that uh, the late Congressman Lewis used to use. It's sort of like a game of uh, let's make a deal. <laughs> um, Absolutely. He, he actually did say that to me. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not lying. Um, I know. How I, are you? How, I believe you. How do you feel about that? Uh, do you feel like you're prepared to uh, work both across the aisle and with other Democrats on issues that might not be, you know, as important to your constituents, but are important, like I live in the 5th Congressional District, so just FYI. So are, do you feel comfortable in that, like, negotiating and, um, you know, there's a fair amount of sort of, like, trading going on? I mean, let's be honest, that's how it works. And uh, do you feel comfortable in that kind of environment? Oh, absolutely, too. I mean, I'm I'm a guy who's you know served our country in government and in uh, the military and the defense contracting for all of my career, uh, and my background is logistics, so it's about getting things done. And I I specialized in logistics in active combat zones, so it took a lot of thinking outside of the box to accomplish the mission. It took a lot of working with other people to get the mission done. It wasn't just me making it happen all on my own. It was working with lots of people to make the mission happen. And I consider myself well, a natural bridge think, builder at that. So that's, you know, 
I believe in I think that's bipartisanship. I've always honestly, thought that that compromise and negotiation were two of the uh, among the most important skills and um, acknowledging that they're important for a person in uh, the federal government, elected officials in the federal government, especially. No, well, actually, at every level. But so I'm glad to hear it, that it, you're, it absolutely that you're prepared for that, is. and that uh, it, it is. I mean, it's very important, and I think we we tend to think, well, you know, my principles are my principles, and I'm never backing down on them. But you know, you have to have some wiggle room. You have to be able to say, okay, these are the things I'm never going to negotiate on. These are my tried and true things. These are the things that are important to me, but I can, I, I can talk <clears throat> about them. I may not know as much about them. And then these are the things that maybe I, I, I'm willing to negotiate on. And I think if we all understand that, I think, and go into this, you know, crazy government Understanding that, I think it's much less frustrating and a lot more gets accomplished. But on well, that note, I'm going to pass. You have, well, go ahead. The, and I, just no, go real ahead. quick, I was just going to say, the thing you have to do is frame what a successful negotiation is. A successful right. negotiation is walking away from the table with some of what you wanted, yet leaving some of what you wanted there. You can always come back mm-hmm. and negotiate further another day. That's what a successful negotiation looks like. A successful negotiation is not, I got everything I wanted and they got nothing. Uh, right. That's, that's, not that's a very unsuccessful like. negotiation. That's, okay. Well, exactly. thanks so much. I'm going to pass it to Tim now for his questions. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Good evening, Marcus. Nice to talk to you again. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Um. I, I got I got to come right out of the gate with this question because I'm dying to get your reaction. Is there any viable reason that you can think of that would explain why Marjorie Taylor Greene keeps uh, enjoying coming to your headquarters? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. I guess I, I I guess she's a fan. I mean, you know, hey, what, what can I say? I don't. I don't. I don't know, but I'm a likable person. Maybe she just likes checking in on us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, well, if she thinks she's intimidating your staff, having encountered uh, your staff a lot on the campaign trail, I can assure her yeah. right now that, boy, is she barking up the wrong tree. Uh, um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she and her staff all know that. You know, she's. <laughs> it wasn't the first time. She came by my, my office that first time where we got her on video. I was actually. Uh-huh. Uh, it was the it was the day before the primary, uh, so she says she's coming in to wish us good luck. I was actually in the back putting signs in the truck to go and put out uh, some yard signs, and you know her and her guys were down the street at the at the bar down from our uh, our headquarters, and you know they were having a drink, having a laugh, and I guess they were getting a little happy we'll call it quote unquote my air quotes <laughs> there and, and and thought it was a good idea to come and troll old flowers well that was not a good idea so i came back in after <laughs> putting the signs away you know that's why the office is a mess we were building signs but i guess you wouldn't know that not having a campaign office or you know a district office here uh in rome so you know i went down and i found them at the bar and i shook every one of their hands and looked them in the eye and let them know that my name is marcus flowers i ain't going anywhere 
the intimidation. <laughs> I, love I, think it. They, I think they got. I think they got that. It's not going to work. So. Uh-huh. Um, getting into the nuts and bolts of the campaign, um, you made a commitment early on not to take corporate PAC money, and yet you Absolutely. were able to raise more money than any challenger in any congressional race in this country. So for the benefit of a lot of the folks that listen to the Kudzu Vine, mm-hmm. what is your message that you'd like to give to political candidates about the influence of PAC money in politics? I mean, it really has, you know, for me, no big place. Not for me. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I say is you can't buy flowers. You know, that's Uh a little catchy thing that I like to say. I'm going to be beholden to the congressional district when I'm elected. That's who Mm -hmm. I will take my marching orders from. I will represent mm-hmm. them, not corporate interests, you know, not big pharma, not big oil, not big anything. The people of Georgia's 14th addressing our needs here in the district. That will be what I go to Congress to do and keep my head down and not embarrass us. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the job. That's the job. So, As I see so you know, coming, so from, let's say, coming from my background. Uh, you know, compliance, mm-hmm. coming from a compliance background, I've done oversight over defense contractors and other contractors as well. So this is just coming from that world, ethically, morally, and I can't be beholden to, to anyone other than the people. They're the ones mm-hmm. who I would represent. So let's say you win and it's January. Have you given any thought to the first bill you would like to see on the House floor in January to vote on? You know, the first bill I would like to see, and this really depends on Democrats holding the House. We need Mm -hmm. to get the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act passed. That's the first thing I'd like to see uh, on the floor, securing our rights to the ballot. Securing our mm-hmm. voice—that's what I would like to see. Um, well, that is a thing, good like one to, to pick some, out. That's—that's—that's you know, that's, that's me. You know, everything else. You know, to me, that helps shore up our democracy. You know, after January mm-hmm. 6, our system held. Now our votes and our voices are being attacked by the big lie. I want to see that shored up. You know, we're—I've mm-hmm. you know, worked on. You know, I was in Iraq when they uh, finally got the right to vote. We oversaw those elections. We've overseen elections in many different countries. We are the gold standard when it comes to elections in our country. You know, we can't have people questioning our free and fair elections. It's just not who we are. You know, it can't be free and fair when you win. Uh, that's just that's not American. This is the, that's a cornerstone of our democracy. You know, the peaceful transfer of power. We have to protect our right to vote. That's one of the first mm-hmm. things I'd So, um, you know the makeup of this district. Obviously, in, in a district like this, there, there's got to be a lot of Republicans that don't want to vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ha- have you encountered some of those voters, and, and, and what have they had to say? Every day. 
out on the campus. Every day. Uh-huh. Every day. You know, I have Republicans come up to me, and, and they'll, they'll tell me things like, you know, I'm a Republican, but I just don't like the way she conducts herself. I don't like the wild conspiracy theories, so I'm going to be voting for you. I mean, I had people telling me this during the primary that, well, I'm going to vote in the primary against her, but if she and you make it through, I'm voting for you. You know, that's who we are here in the district. The people here, I, I tell people all over the world who make disparaging remarks about our district because of Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's, that's not who we are. She doesn't represent the good people here in this district. She really doesn't, you know. And again, I get Republicans, Independents, and Democrats alike that tell me every day, thank you for running. You know, God bless you. We're praying for you. You know, and they'll say things like, please save us. You know, you've got to save us. We, you know, and they say a few other things that I probably can't repeat here, but, you know, that's uh, either here or there. <laughs> but I hear it every day. Yeah. I hear it every day, Jim, every day. So, but and I, and I and I get that there's there's some fear on some Republicans' sides. I hear this every day is, you know, well, we want to put out signs for you, but we don't want people attacking our yard or anything like that or throwing things at us. You know, because we do have a little bit of that extremist element here, undoubtedly, mm-hmm. just like everywhere else in the country right now. Uh, mm-hmm. So. I'm going to tell people right now, I don't care if you're a Republican, independent, or a Democrat, I want to serve you. I will serve every one of you the same, whether you vote for me or not. What your political stripes or beliefs are or your ideology doesn't matter to me. If you're a Republican and you don't vote for me and you need help with a Social Security uh, claim or a VA claim or anything else, I'm not going to ask you what your party is, what your party affiliation is, or whether or not you voted for me, I'm going to help you. That's who I am, and that's who we are here. Mm-hmm. You're my neighbor. Um, Full stop. Are, 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 are you going to debate her? I'd like to. I'd like to. And as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I'm going I'm to put this out here. Uh, the Atlanta Press Club has already reached out and asked if I would like to debate her, and I said yes. So we'll see what she says to it. So, okay. News. You got it, Tim. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to ask you one more you question. This is a little inside political stuff, too, because it, it was something akin to a political earthquake. We had heard that they were going to go after the 6th District when when uh, they did redistricting, and sure enough, uh, we found ourselves with – the Austell and Powder Springs areas, very Democratic, heavily African-America areas added to this district. Obviously, the people in that area, of course, were very angry and dispirited that they suddenly found themselves in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. Now, I know you have campaigned a lot there. You have talked to many of those folks. Are they going to come out? and vote in numbers in November? Well, I certainly hope so. That's, uh, you know, and she was, let's let's be honest, she made some statements about throw Atlanta drawn into our district as well, saying that Uh we didn't want those people in our district. 
And, you know, I've countered that by saying we absolutely want our neighbors in our district. And, and part, of, part of the thing when I go out into Southwest Cobb and I talk to people, some people still don't know that she's their representative now. A lot of people haven't been paying attention to that. So part of it's educating. Uh, and we're definitely trying to turn out as you know, many of those voters as possible. Uh, and, again, I'm running to serve everyone. To me, again, we're, we're neighbors, we're a community, and we need to remember that. And she doesn't represent the best of who we are. So we get out and we have those conversations with everyone. Amen. Well, with that, sir, I appreciate you being on with us tonight. I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. Please pay your staff. I sent my best because they are a terrific young bunch of folks. And with that, I will well, thank send you back over to David. Thank you, Jim. And they yes, are well, great. They work hard, and we appreciate them. All right. Go ahead, David. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no worries. Um, always good to praise the staff. Um, well, I wanted to ask – I wasn't going to like, uh, give my usual conclusion question, which I think you'll like. Uh, but before that, I did want to redirect on the um, news you broke about the Atlanta Press Club. If it's my understanding, if you agree to debate and she doesn't, you'll get 30 minutes to share your vision for Georgia's 14th Congressional District. Is that correct? You know, I think I've heard that. I heard it was like 10, but maybe it's 30. So I'm pretty sure I could fill 30 minutes of, uh, you know, empty (laughs) stage like John Ossoff did in his debate that didn't happen. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd love to have her come out and have a discussion about our visions for the district so and she owes it to the constituents of the district to tell her vision and but if she wants to give you that time uh, that seems like that would be a a great opportunity for you and the voters uh well the final oh, question i have for you it. is you've to- yeah you've told our listeners all about your background and your vision for the district and if they've heard it and they're like hey i want to volunteer i want to know more about the campaign join the email list donate money Tell our listeners uh, how they can find out more about your campaign. Well, the best way to find out about our campaign is to go to www.marcus4georgia. That's all spelled out, M-A-R-C-U-S-F-O-R-G-E-O-R-G-I-A.com. And we have a volunteers page. We have an issues page where we talk about all the issues. I have a media page where I have hours worth of interviews where we expound on, you know, what we talked about here tonight. Uh, but that's the best way to come and volunteer for our campaign. We've got hundreds of volunteers to come out and knock doors with us. They do phone banking with us, reach out to their friends and family, do house parties, you know, even donate, you know, because we do need money to run campaigns. They are expensive. I have to pay my staff a living wage here. And that's, you know, that takes money. And Marjorie Taylor Green is a fundraising juggernaut. Uh, put it quite bluntly uh, we've managed to kind of keep up with you know her antics and the national press that she gets you know that's uh that makes it a bit of a challenge so please anything you guys can do you know if you want to send five ten dollars you want to volunteer some of your time you know to do phone banking or if you'd like to knock doors you know we've got about 70 71 days left in this campaign we'd appreciate your help Yes, sir. Well, thank you for joining us on the Kudzu game tonight, and uh, good luck on the train. 
Well, thank Thanks you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a great evening. All right. Thank you as well. Yes. Marcus Flowers, um, congressional candidate, Democratic nominee from Georgia's 14th Congressional District. For those of you that want, might want a, a little refresher, that is the northwest corner of Georgia. Um, go, goes along the Alabama border and then uh, goes across the Tennessee border over through Murray County. Um, so suburban Atlanta all the way to suburban Chattanooga. Um, is this district. Well, let's um, kind of – we've got a, just a few minutes, and we were talking about elections, but one piece of news did come up, uh, I guess, about the time we started the show, or maybe just a little bit before the show, but um, Texas gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke um, had to come off the um, campaign trail with a bacterial infection. I think it was an intestinal area, and um, he was campaigning in San Antonio, had to go to the hospital – and he's off the trail for a little bit. Sounds, uh, you know, less severe than when John Fetterman had to come off the trail, but um, it was just kind of a shock because, you know, we have candidates that get older, but Beto O'Rourke is right around 50 years old um, and seems to be, you know, a very vibrant person. Um, but anybody can get sick, and so this was just kind of surprising news to me. Uh, Catherine, I don't know if I'm telling you new or you had read this, about the time the show went on, but what are your thoughts? Well, you know, a bacterial infection doesn't isn't uh, age it has nothing to do with age. I mean, it could be uh, something that they picked up. It could be uh, foodborne. It could be airborne. You know, all kinds of uh, ways you can pick up a bacterial infection. I'm sure he's getting good good health care and uh, has people taking care of him. And I imagine a round of antibiotics and some fluids, so she'll be back in a couple of days. I'm yes. not a doctor, uh, of course. Tim, uh, Beto O'Rourke's known as one of the most vigorous campaigners around. Um, it, it would probably be that way in any state, but a state the size of Texas, and he goes to every corner of it. Um, your thoughts on um, this news? Well, it's uh, very unfortunate, especially as we approach the 1st of September and Sometimes age doesn't make a difference. David, while uh, while you were mentioning that, my thoughts went to Richard Nixon in 1960. He slammed the car door um, on his hand, and it set up an infection. He got sick, and he looked sick. Um, and just a few days later, he had to debate John Kennedy on television looking that way. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate to hear that, and I all my best to the candidate, and I hope he will be, uh, I hope he will be finding back out there in a hurry because, uh, like you said, Texas is a big state, and, uh, he's, he's climbing a mountain as it, as it is, isn't he? Yeah, I think he even campaigned in Loving County, um, uh, or maybe it's Loving, Texas, in the county. Uh, it's it's a county that has a, a population number. It's the smallest, uh, most rural-populated county in the entire nation. Um, I don't want to wow. say the population to get it wrong, but they closed up their school system uh, back in the 70s. 
um, because there's so little population up there in um, wow. uh, northwestern Texas. But he went even went to that county I know last time in 2018. Um, wow. Well, let's kind of talk about some of the, the another election that happened on Tuesday, and that was in Florida. Um, there were three races we kind of knew how they were going to play out: the Democratic nomination for Senate, and both the Republican nomination for Senate and Governor. And in both those the, all three of those races, the project the predicted nominee uh, Val Demings, Marco Rubio, and Ron DeSantis all won. Now, the other race that was uh, a bit in question was Congressman and former um, Florida governor, um, Charlie Crist, was facing off against the only Democratic statewide elected official, Nikki, um, Nikki Freed. And uh, that race was, you know, even, you even had polls that showed each of them winning in the final week of the um, election. Charlie Crist won. He won um, handily. He's probably a strong term, but comfortably might be a better way to say it, and it moves on from there. Uh, Catherine, your thoughts on the, I guess, more contested result? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody was too surprised that Charlie Crist won. I mean, I, mean, it, I think he had, you know, incredible name recognition, and um, I, don't, I don't remember. Look, I didn't look at funding but he probably had more money I, I can just imagine um and my friends in florida who i had talked to were pretty sure he would um prevail so hopefully he can uh beat that crazy governor but i think it's a long <laughs> haul yeah and i might even say mean governor i, th- I think he i, I think he's he more is mean spirit he's mean he's mean yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's mean spirit. I mean, I think he has all his faculties and everything else. He's just mean. Yeah, Tell he's your thoughts on the result in Florida on Tuesday. Well, I think the word handily, you got you got it right the first time because he beat her by more than twenty points. Uh, so it it was it it was a, a solid win, and uh, of course he's got his work cut out for him. Let's let's don't. Uh, sugarcoat this thing. It's going to be very, very difficult for him to beat uh, DeSantis, uh, but <laughs> I certainly hope he does that. Out, outside of the state of Georgia and probably the Fetterman race in Pennsylvania, I want this one more than, than any. And I want to say one more thing about Florida, uh, David, and that's about a young man by the name of Maxwell Frost. Um, he's 25 years old. He's the first. Uh, he's going to be the first Generation Z member of Congress. He got the Democratic nomination in his district, and uh, and it's a very Democratic, heavily district. So, so he's going to go to Congress at at the age of twenty five. I just had to say some kudos to him. Oh, and one more thing: that nutcase Laura Loomer lost. So. The news out of Florida yeah, was not take it very well. <laughs> no, yeah, she didn't take it very well either. Um, no, she well, didn't. Tim, I was gonna mention, yeah, I was going to mention Maxwell Frost, but that's okay. That's a very Democratic district, so um, seems like uh-huh. a, you know maybe not a slam dunk, but about as close as you can get. Um, yeah. But let's let's. Um, I did want to mention also. Um, it's a shame to me that Nikki Free took this chance because. I find it so amazing that she won as a statewide candidate because now in today's 
um, states, a lot of times the state will be all Democratic or all Republican. It's hard to win a statewide race when the governor's mansion didn't go your way. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that she had that, she probably could have held it, um, spent a little more time in that office, and then ran in the future, be it four years if mm-hmm. Charlie Chris doesn't win, eight years if he does. Um, mm-hmm. She's, you know, she has plenty of future uh, depending on how she plays it. Now, not being in office, that that's an obstacle to say the least. Um, so I don't want to mention that. One more thing before we get off of here is polls showed Val Demings with not only in striking distance, but some polls even showed her with a lead on Marco Rubio. Is Marco as unpopular as I think he is, Catherine? I think so, yes. Yeah. Mm. Tim, what do you think? No, I think I think the Republican brand in the U.S. Senate right now is what is unpopular, David. Uh, yeah, and uh, they 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 got they got problems in some state right races, and 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 we know the issue that has propelled it in that direction. Uh, so I, I think he he's he may be in some trouble over some things that have happened outside of his state. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's kind of a double for him. The Republican brand is, you know, lowering popularity. That's going to hurt him. But he's unpopular with that MAGA base. You know, he's the one that talked about Donald Trump's small hands, which he insinuated mm-hmm. something else out of that. And I don't think Trump mm-hmm. ever forgiven him. I think a lot of the hardcore MAGA base hadn't. So some of them may just leave that uh, race blank. Um, and I don't think you know Trump is going to step forward and try. And I don't think Trump will step up and try to help him. Do you? Oh no, not I at all. I mean, my goodness, you know who Donald Trump is, and when you insult yeah. what Marco Rubio is insinuating, that's more unforgivable than probably than anything Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden ever said running against him. Um, mm-hmm. So therefore, I don't think he does anything. Um, and so that that's really going to be an interesting race that's put on the radar now as more things happen. We'll have more to talk about. I do want to let our listeners know next week is Labor Day, and we're going to take Labor Day off. But then we're going to come back, and, and I'm assuming we'll have shows all the way through Election Day with everything going on. And we already have our guests planned for the week after Labor Day, uh, September 11th. Sherry Jacobus, who's a Republican consultant, who is um, critical of Donald Trump? She's going to be on the show discussing, you know, kind of how the the intersection of the Republican Party and the MAGA movement and Republicans that are against that, how that all works out. And so we're going to have Sherry on on the 11th, also on the 18th. I've already booked that show. Uh, Steve Sizinger is going to come on, and we're going to talk about education issues. And no, we're not going to talk about you know goal setting or anything like that. We're going to talk more about the intersection of government and education like uh, teacher shortages and what teachers can say in their classrooms and teachers getting fired in Oklahoma for suggesting book programs and everything else. So just kind of setting the table uh, for future weeks. Um, But enjoyed having Marcus Flowers on the show. And until then, been the Cudsy Vine. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom?